I've been speaking uh, over recent weeks about God the Father. Today I want to talk about Jesus, who of course is the Son of God, and I want to focus on Him. Now you probably all know who Jesus is. We just sang a song about speaking Jesus. But um, I want to go sort of a slightly different direction on this one, talking about how Jesus impacts us. Uh, of course, he's the Son of God. He's the second part of the Godhead. He's creator. He's the saviour. He's the head of the church. But this is my favourite passage when I talk about Jesus. Anytime I think about Jesus, I think about this. This is an incredible passage where Paul writes this in Philippians. Have in mind Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the point of death, even death on a cross. And we all know about that. We'll be celebrating that in just a few weeks' time at Easter. But then it says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the bit that gets me excited. I mean, him, him humbling himself and, and dying on a cross for us, yes, that, that's, that's tremendous. That's salvation right there. But I read this, this passage and I read the rest of my Bible, I realize at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. That includes governments, that includes media, that includes the lobbies, the various lobbying groups, that includes the church. Because frankly, in some churches, Jesus is not Lord. They say it, but they don't act like it. But the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we study Jesus, as we look at how he impacts our life, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would discover the riches that you have for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Jesus Christ is not just a swear word. Some of you here, the only time you may have heard the word Jesus Christ is when someone hits their finger with a hammer or something and they shout that name out. But I want to ask you a question. Why attack Jesus? Why pick on him? They don't hit their finger with a hammer and shout Buddha or Muhammad or Baal. Why do they attack Jesus? Why is it that when they, when they want to swear, they attack Jesus? You know why? Because as far as the devil is concerned, Jesus is the threat. The other guys are not. He doesn't care if you, if you think Buddha's a good or a bad guy. He doesn't care if you think Muhammad you know, is, a, is a great guy or not. He doesn't care. He cares about where Jesus stands in your life because that's what he's most afraid of. He's afraid of Jesus. Why do you think they, they pick, he, pick on his name as a swear word? Why? Because he wants to bring into disrepute the name of Jesus. That's the devil's plan. There has been innumerable attacks through the ages on the person of Jesus. They've attacked his deity and humanity in equal measure. And they've all been battlegrounds because Jesus is the devil's biggest threat. Countless cults and heretics and, and by the hundreds have denied the historical Jesus and they're doing so today. <coughs> if you read history, you cannot deny that Jesus Christ existed. It's very clear from history. The only question is, how does he exist for you? Because apparently the enemy is greatly threatened by Jesus. It's very true. In the New Testament, 
The name Jesus is, is mentioned by itself 612 times and many more times in conjunction with Christ and other, other uh, words. Why? Why is it mentioned this way? Because Jesus is salvation. In Matthew 1.21 it says this. This is talking to Mary, his mother, before Jesus is born. Uh, it says this. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. So what then is, is the significance of this word? In the Greek it is the word Iusus. It corresponds to the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is the same as Joshua. And what that word means in Hebrew is the Lord is salvation. That's why men feel they've got to attack Jesus all the time. Because Jesus represents salvation. With him intact... Mankind are challenged to deny themselves, deny their religion, deny their works and trust in him only for salvation. So they hate it. That's why they hate Jesus. Because Jesus challenges people where they're at. Jesus has incredible power. The power is right there in the name of Jesus. That's why we, we, we sing that song, We Speak Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. For repentance, for example, Acts 2.38 Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. There it is there, repentance. What about healing? Acts 3.6, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The guy rises up and walks. There's healing in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, and while men try to destroy him to this day, while men try to deny him in this day, there will come a day, my Bible says it, so does yours, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. It's coming. You know, people get so despondent when they look at the state of the world. I mean, our, our, our country is a mess. Our government is ridiculous. Our media is, is completely corrupted. And you look at what's happening in our schools, in our homes. Families just being torn apart. Kids who don't know whether they're Arthur or Martha, literally. Right? And all this is going on, and you could look at it and get despondent, but it's like looking at the waves when Peter was walking on water. He looked at the waves and he began to sink. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on who? Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer. He is the only answer. And he is the Lord of all. So I want to talk about Jesus taking us from rags to riches. There's a girl called Mary Donaldson. You may not know her. Perhaps you do. A typical Aussie girl, living a great life, struggling with money, employment, going to Bondi Beach, hanging out with friends. One night at the Slip-In Pub in Sydney, she met a stranger named Fre Frederick, who was visiting for the 2000 Olympics. They fell in love, and before she knew it, they married, and Mary Donaldson became Mary, Princess of Denmark, Countess of Montpezat. Just like that. How cool is that? Girls, there is hope for you. <laughs> you may not know who you're going to marry, but th there's always a chance. You could marry, well, not, maybe not that guy, but some other guy who is a prince. You know, we've seen movies on it. You remember those, those soppy Hallmark movies where some girl who's nobody marries a prince and moves to some country no one's ever heard of? You know, you've, like we have this dream in our hearts you know, girls have this dream in their heart anyway, but in an instant, Mary went from common folk 
to crown princess. Why? Why did everything change? You know why? Because the prince fell in love with her. And I've got to tell you this morning, Jesus has fallen in love with you. And because he loves you, you have the chance to become royalty this morning. Because he loves you. No other reason. I mean, he could have picked anybody. But he was wise. He picked an Aussie girl. (laughs) But he could have picked anybody. But because he chose her to love, her life was transformed. And now she's an actual princess. You see, Jesus is God. He's the creator. He's the savior. He's the sustainer through his Holy Spirit living in us. I cannot cover every benefit of Jesus loving you, but I want to focus on four things that happen when we are adopted into his family. We go from rags to reconciliation to regeneration to riches and to reigning. You know, we have an incredible opportunity because of Jesus Christ. Let's look at them. First of all, reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a word that's used a lot these days. It's mainly used uh, referring in our culture, referring to the Aboriginal people. Reconciliation with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters. What it actually means is the re-establishment of peace. Romans 5 verses 8 and 10 says this, God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if, if it For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. When Christ died for our sin, he reconciled us. What does that even mean? The Greek word for reconciled is the word katalazo, which means to change or exchange coins for for other coins of equal value. We, we call it changing money. You know, you say, has anybody got change for a 50? You know, you, know, you've, you, you might have heard, has anybody got change for a 50? Yeah, I'll give you two 20s for that. No, you give two 20s and a 10 for that, don't you? Like you, you're exchanging it, right? And then the idea of exchange, uh, it, it means we're, we're exchanging hostility for friendship. That's the idea behind the Greek word. And then they put the prefix apo on the front. And this means to bring back something to its former position of peace. So Colossians 1 verse 20, for example, says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things. So when we are reconciled, we are taken back to a state where there was peace. Where was that? Right back at the beginning of time, in the Garden of Eden, mankind was, was perfect. And he was at peace with God until sin came in and ruined everything. Reconciliation is bringing us back to a relationship that where you can be at peace with God. So if you read Romans 5, you'll see that basic basic premise of Romans 5 is Adam blew it and lost everything. Christ got it right and brought everything back and we're reconciled again. Isn't that cool? So we can, you know, as a believer, we're no longer at variance with God. We can return to that time when we were walking with him in the cool of the day. I love that verse in Genesis 3, walking with him in the cool of the day. Can you imagine, you know how like you have a hot day and at the end of it, you sit down on the veranda, there's a bit of a breeze blowing and you're just chilling and it's, it's awesome. Can you imagine doing that with God? Because that's what Adam got to do and that is essentially what Jesus has accomplished for us again, that we can sit down and be, have a direct connection with God again, the, the relationship is reconciled. Now, it's interesting, I spoke a few weeks ago about the ancient gods. <coughs> uh, 
And it is interesting that out of all the gods of any culture through the years, that the word kalazzo, oh, sorry, katalazzo, was never used of any pagan deities. Why? Because pagan deities were never reconciled. The pagan deities did not want to reconcile with man. Ancient, the ancient people had no concept of a god with whom you, that you could have no variance, no enmity. So the gods of the ancient pagan religions were always angry, always demanding, always wanting appeasement. They were never on your side. You had to bribe them all the time to get them on side. You remember all those stories of Greek gods and stuff? Apologies, Rod. <laughs> but but you, you remember that? Like, But our god's different because our god is actually actively seeking peace with you. He wants to be connected to you. Only the blood of Christ can accomplish this for you and I. Only the death of God's Son could bring back a state of peace between God and us. Even in the Old Testament, sacrifices were made to cover sin, but they were inadequate. It was called an atonement, which is the covering of sin. But only Christ's, Christ's blood could actually reconcile us to God forever. It's a pretty cool thing. The gospel is simple. Deb shared it earlier. She's very, very good at this. She goes out and gets roofers saved, which is pretty amazing. You know, but, but the gospel is really simple. We try and make it more complicated. But here's the gospel in essence. Everybody's sinned. You don't need me to tell you that. You and I have all sinned, haven't we? Put your hand up if you've never sinned. Good. We're all in the same boat. <laughs> Some of you are going, no, you're not. We have all sinned. And the penalty for sin is to die and to go to hell. So God sent Jesus, his son, to die in our place. He died instead of us. And because he died, we are reconciled to God. And all we need to do is to receive it. We deserve to die, but Jesus Christ, who didn't deserve to die, died in our place. During the Civil War, it was legal for men who wanted to avoid the draft to pay for personal replacements. This was a legal thing in the Union Army. In one particular instance, a man paid for another guy to go into battle for him, and the other guy was killed in battle. Well, a few months later, the man who, received, uh, the, who paid for the replacement received a second draft notice. So he rocked up to the draft board and said, excuse me, this second draft is invalid. Somebody already went to war and died in my place. You can't do this. And they couldn't do it. Someone died in my place. And that's what Jesus has done. He's died in your place. You deserve to go to hell. You deserve death. We all do. But Jesus paid the price. It's so cool. Why couldn't Jesus, well, why couldn't God just let everybody into heaven? I said this the other week, because then heaven would be hell. The whole idea of heaven is that there's no sin. If he let you in full of sin, heaven would be hell. So his solution, this amazing solution, is he says this. I'm going to stay just and holy. I'm going to exclude sin from heaven. I am going to, 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 to carry out this punishment, which is death, eternal death, that every person deserves, except I'm going to send my son to pay the price for them. How good is that? When Satan wants to redraft us into sin, we should oppose him by saying, Satan, you can't force me into that old life anymore. The payment's already been made. Jesus died in my place. You can't draft me again. The second thing that Jesus does is regeneration. Titus 3 verse 5. 
He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus' work on the cross regenerates us. In the Greek, the, word, the Greek word for regenerate is palagenesia. Uh, Genesia is, of course, where we get Genesis from, which means to be born. Genesis means to be born. And the prefix palin means again. So that word regeneration literally means to be born again. That sounds like something that should be in church, isn't it? Born again. John 12 verse 24, Jesus said, Truly I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So you see, this concept of being born again is really where it's at. Jesus Christ did not come to earth to make bad men good. He came to earth to make dead men live. And we were dead in our sins. Our life is dead. So many people are dead. They're still walking around, but they're dead inside. But Jesus said, I, I bring life, even life to the full. Now, in the ancient Greeks, uh, Greek um, culture, Stoics used this particular word, to refer to the earth being destroyed by fire and being reborn, a bit like a phoenix from the ashes, where everything is destroyed and from the ashes something is reborn, amazingly. For us, the point is that we were dead in our sins. Jesus brought us back and we are reborn, regenerated. We are born again. Now, Tony Evans, who's a, a pastor that I love, an American pastor, he, he said that he was talking to a mortician one day who said that sometimes the muscles within cadavers twitch wouldn't that be freaky i mean imagine if you are in the funeral home and there's a body on the table and it's twitching but apparently they do he said he even saw a twitch that actually catapulted the cadaver off the table that's amazing but after sharing that insight um tony evans said to him what well, that's he said, doesn't it scare you? He said, no, that stuff doesn't bother me, said the mortician, because I know that dead is dead even when it acts alive. And it's the same with us, with our body of sin. Our body of sin is still moving. It's, you know, it's, it's still happening, right? We still sin. But previously we had to because we were slaves to sin, and now we no longer need to sin because we're slaves to righteousness. If we continue to sin, it's because we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what he's done for us. We're not acting regenerated. Romans 6 says this, For the death he, Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, God, to Christ Jesus. Isn't it incredible? We're actually dead to sin. Um, I was talking with some guys uh, earlier this week I was talking about sin is when you come to Christ it's like the sin factory gets shut down but it's still in circulation it takes a while to get it out of circulation but the factory's shut down if you come to Christ he will transform your life this morning and the factory of sin is shut down still a bit of it floating around you've got to deal with but the actual factory is shut down the third thing about Jesus is that he brings riches I mean, think about the riches we have because of Jesus. Peace, access to God's grace, joy, hope, love, the Holy Spirit. Incredible riches. And, and when you're a Christian, trials work for us, not against us. That's in, most people hit hard times and their life collapses. 
But as a Christian, when you hit hard times, you can rejoice because God's going to bring something better out of it. He develops your character through the tough times. How rich we are. Many of us, though, and this is a perception thing, many of us think that our inheritance is like pots of gold sitting at various places throughout our heavenly mansion. One day I'll get there, I'll walk into my room, and there will be a bunch of, a pot of gold here and a pot of gold here, and there'll be all my riches. But that's because our mind is polluted with worldly things. That's not true at all. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. See, the riches start now. Why wait till heaven? Heaven is not pie in the sky when you die by and by. Heaven is real and it's right now and by his Holy Spirit we can have that direct communion with Christ right there in our hearts. The Greek word for riches is the word plutos from which we get English words such as plutonic meaning a rich friendship. Aristotle only used the word referring to physical wealth but Plato used it for abstract wealth things like mercy and honour and, and wisdom and stuff like that. So true riches, true wealth is not the material things that we have. But as Paul would write centuries later, spiritual things. And this is nowhere greater than the wealth and the true forgiveness of the, of, of the sin and, and of the redemption of Christ. Perhaps more important than that is, is if we look at Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Now, that word according to in the Greek is interesting. It's not ek, meaning out of. It's kata, meaning, meaning literally down. What it's, it, what it's saying is, God doesn't give you riches out of his riches. God doesn't sit there in his infinite riches and throw you a bone and say, there you go, there's a bit of riches. Enjoy. What it says is that God, uh, he doesn't throw you a piece, but according to, it means he's dominated by his riches. And what it means, folks, is all of us have access to all of his riches. Not just little bits. All the richness of God is ours, folks, if we can grasp it. It's not when we get to heaven. It's right here, right now. The fourth and final area is the word reigning. Romans 5 verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. The word reigning is the Greek word basilo, which is, means to have dominion over, to reign over, to exert control and influence over. So we, we belong to the old creation under Adam. Death and sin reign there. But now we have a new creation, a new scenario under Christ, and he is living and reigning in us. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We heard about this morning when, when Colin shared around communion. He owns us. But you see, we've been adopted into God's royal family, just like Mary was. Mary's just hanging out at a pub in Sydney. And she meets this guy, falls in love, and a little while later, she's now adopted into the, the royal family of Denmark. You see, we've been adopted into God's royal family. Therefore, his wealth, prestige, honour, authority and riches are also ours. Yet, many of us continue to live as paupers. 
we forget the Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. See, in Jesus Christ, you don't just get riches, you also get authority. You can live like a king by the grace of God, with his riches and authority and his spirit living within you. See, when you're, when you're in royalty, it's sort of a double-edged sword. You get lots of stuff, lots of really, you know, cool stuff. You get to ride around in limos and you get to be rich and eat really good food. But with that comes the, the responsibility. You have a role to fulfill. And if you don't fulfill that, they get very upset. So from rags to riches, reconciliation, regeneration and reigning. God's grace is inexhaustible. His grace is ours in Christ Jesus. You know, people come to me and they say, I just want God to treat me fairly. Life's been hard to me. It's not fair. I want God to treat me fairly. No, you don't. Because if he treated you fairly, you'd go straight to hell. That's what we deserve. That's what's fair. What you want is for God to treat you graciously, not fairly. You don't want God to give you what you deserve because we all deserve death and hell. But what we need is grace. And what we need to understand is our birthright. To understand how we can be reigning with him and, and, and living for him and having him live in us. But we have to get this. We have to understand adoption. Now, I don't know if, you, if your parents are your natural parents. Maybe you were adopted into your family. But we, we have a different concept of adoption in the West. The Eastern concept goes far deeper than our Western understanding. Paul only uses the word adoption in the New Testament, sorry, only Paul uses the word adoption in the New Testament and he no doubt borrowed it from the Romans because the Jews didn't, didn't talk about this at all. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, long before Abba was a 70s pop group, Abba, or Abba, means daddy. It's, it's a familiar term. It, it's a term of, of closeness and love with the father. It's not a flippant term at all. The Greek word hoiathesia literally means son placing. So Roman children possessed nothing. They, when they were children, Roman, Romans had nothing. Right? They possessed nothing. They had no rights until they were teenagers. Then there was a public ceremony declaring the child to be an official member of the family. This was called son placing. And after he'd completed the family privileges, responsibilities and all that sort of stuff, he went from being a nobody to being a somebody. Now, it's not, not a change in relationship, right? The dad still loved the child when, when the child was a child, but he reaches a point. So it's not about relationship. He's still close to his son. But when he reaches a certain point, he's no longer a child, becomes an adult, it's about position. Not just about relationship, it's about position. And when he became a, a, an adult, he got all of the rights of being in that family. Adoption also occurred between a man and a child who was not by his birth. The most famous of these, you may not know this, everybody heard of Julius Caesar, right? Anybody ever read Shakespeare? Hast thou readest Julius Caesar? Right. Julius Caesar didn't have a child and heir. Um, the next Caesar to come along was a guy called Augustus Caesar, and he was the Roman ruler at the time of Christ. But he was actually adopted. The original, his original name was Octavian, the son of Atia, the niece of Julius Caesar. Therefore, this guy was Julius Caesar's grand nephew. 
Octavian was 18 years old when Caesar was assassinated at the Ides of March, March 1544 BC. Caesar, in his will, had adopted Octavian, bestowing upon him the official name Gaius Julius Caesar. The Senate later on conferred the honourable title Augustus, the Exalted, in 27 BC. So what happened for Caesar was he didn't have a son, but his adopted son became the next Caesar with all of the trimmings. So this was a common thing in Roman times. An adopted person was in a true sense a new person, legally and practically. He had all the rights of a son by birth and any old debts were cancelled. So when you come to Jesus Christ, not only does he make you his child, but he cancels all your old debts. And he says, you're now in a new position where I'm adopting you into my family and you get all of the, the blessings of being part of his family. We were originally in the family, if you like, our father was the devil, slaves to sin, under a sentence of death, already dead in trespasses and sins. But we come to Christ, we're adopted into his family and we're members of a new family. The old debts are paid and we're new people to our new father. So when you come to Jesus, you go from failure to family, from sinfulness to sonship, from rags to riches, from rejects to royalty. We are like Harry and Meghan in reverse. That's our lot. We're moving into the royal family, not away from it. With the royal title comes also great riches, but also great responsibility. There is honour and authority, but only in our obedience to the king. When we obey the king, when we serve the king, King Jesus becomes our brother. And he is also our Lord. Galatians 4 verse 7. You are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through through God. Jesus' death and resurrection saves us, redeems us, and adopts us into the family of God. So this morning, I want to be a little weird. All right, more weird than normal. And I want to... Sometimes we do things as as like a, a symbol... That, that reminds us of who we are. And I want to do something very special in a few moments. On Saturday, the 6th of May this year, King Charles will be coronated at Westminster Abbey. Sounds weird. I don't want to be cavalier, but King Charles will be ca- crowned then. This ceremony will be formalised, will formalise his position as the monarch and the head of the Church of England, and it marks the transfer of titles and power to the king. And I reckon most of us have never been coronated. And I think today is a great day for coronation, don't you? If you love Jesus, you can be a son or a daughter of the king. You can be a prince or a princess. You can be royalty. But you have to ask Jesus into your life. If you don't, you miss out on all the blessings of sonship and daughtership, all the blessings of adoption. If you don't ask Jesus into your life, you miss out on eternal life. You miss out on the power to live each day. But if you, want to, if you truly want to discover the depths of God's love for you as a child of God, then this is going to be a moment to save her. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a moment?
If you've never asked Jesus into your life, this is a really great day to do it. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you've toyed with it. Maybe you've Maybe you're not entirely sure, but I want to encourage you. This is the moment to step out in faith. Deb talked about being bold. This is the time to be bold. Because by doing nothing, you're doing something. By doing nothing, you are rejecting Christ. But this is the moment to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and allow him to adopt you into his family. If you've never asked Jesus into your life or if you've been wandering far from him, this is the moment to get it right. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to repeat it after me. And I want you to to think about these words because this is your moment to become a son or a daughter of the King of Kings, to become a prince or a princess, to become royalty. So if you've never asked Jesus into your life, pray this after me and let's do it together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my sin to you and I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for accepting me into your family and making me royalty.